World's Finest Podcast, Episode 96. James Doe, and with me as always is Michael David Sims. Hello. How are you, sir? I'll just skip the obligatory I'm tired uh, <laughs> thing, because it's it's been done how many times in my intros? Like 11, 12? Well, well, well let's see. This is episode 96, so um, <laughs> A lot. do I say 96 times? <laughs> A lot. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> eh, I got nothing to complain about, except, well, you know, that... Atlanta Falcons getting ass raped by the Green Bay Packers. But yeah, what, just, what happened there? I wasn't, I, you know, I wasn't really following what happened. I saw you on Facebook, all like, "Oh my God, they gave up the blitz or something." Oh yeah, I look at it this way: the defensive coordinator had a perfect game plan for the first drive of the game. After that, completely abandoned what worked and didn't do anything relatively even close to that the rest of the game. Huh. WTF, mate. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what happened there, but I, I got to admit, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm sad for you that your team isn't going on, but I really do like the idea of a Bears-Packers matchup in yeah, the playoffs. It, it is kind of cool. I have to admit that. Yeah. Um, granted, I believe that game is in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, I presently don't live that far from Soldier Field, so it's going to be a pain in the ass down here this upcoming Sunday. Um, Better get those but, shoes on, sir. <laughs> why? Avoid traffic. Oh, oh! I thought I thought you meant like you you I don't know like the pack was going to kick the hell out of the Bears, and you were telling me to walk away from the road to Dallas. I didn't know what you were getting at. I clearly have no clue. <laughs> But, uh, you know, before we get away from football, who is going to win, the Pack or the Bears? I, it's really hard to pick against the Pack right now. I would say I they're the Super Bowl favorites. They just they just handed the Falcons, the best team in the conference, their asses on a silver platter. Okay. But, I mean, the Bears, on the other hand, play the Pack pretty much tougher than anybody else. So this mm-hmm. is gonna it's going to be a really good game. Yeah, I mean, I really don't follow football. I know it's come up in the last few shows, so it seems like I do, but I really don't. But I may have to find a way to uh, watch that game. I don't know how, I don't know where, but yeah, I may sit down to watch that one this Sunday. Anyways, uh, before we get into the bulk of the show, I should say that uh, I'm fully moved in with my fiancé now. Very cool. Um, You know, during the last episode, I think I... um, (laughs) <laughs> I recall patted myself on the back <laughs> for recording in the midst of uh, packing, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, there was a noticeable echo in the background from the emptiness. <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention that, too. If, if any of our listeners wonder why there was an echo, it's because, yeah, everything 
that was on my walls was off my walls. So definitely an echo there. But, uh, yeah, I, I am moved in. I am moved in with Shana now. And, uh, you know, I just want to let you guys know that we do have two cats. So if you hear them meowing in the background or at some point if you actually hear them trying to murder each other in the background, uh, don't be surprised. You know, it's not going to detract from the show. In fact, I think it will make it fun. There might even be pauses to with me yelling at them or cheering them on or egging one of them on um, as, as I do from time to time. <laughs> it's like uh, Waldo making his little appearances on the tirades. <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to ask, how's he doing? Because what did he hurt? Was oh, it his he, foot? His he leg? broke one of his claws completely off. Oh, my God. Okay. But so he's okay now. He, he was his... in considerable pain, but he is okay now. Okay. Oh, for you, for those of you that don't know, James mentioned this over at the forums. Um, and what happened? You couldn't get to the well, vet because well, you there were was snowed the, in, right? Yeah, there was a ice storm that came through Atlanta and basically mm. shut the city down for the better part of three three days. Wow. Uh, it, it was not fun. I mean, we, it was snow the first day. It was like I would say about six to eight inches of snow the first day, which was cool. But then it just turned to ice after it all got compacted onto the roads. Yeah. That yeah. was not fun. <laughs> no, no. But uh, it, most of it is melted now because it, we've had the temperatures going back up into the 40s and 50s. But, uh, yeah, so the point is we couldn't get Waldo to a, a vet because we were we couldn't get out of our cul-de-sac. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Poor guy. Yeah, he's cool, though. He's a, he's a trooper. Yeah. Um. I should say, though, I listened to the most recent episode of the tirades. It took me a little while to get to it, but I got to it. And, oh, my God, you guys trying to figure out what versions were watched? <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> How many versions of this movie are there? Like 20? <laughs> awesome. I mean, that was great. That was that was wild. Um, great show overall. Really, really was a great episode. I shit you not when I say we had more fun just breaking off into tangents that had nothing to do with the movie than talking about the actual movie. Yeah, yeah. Trust me, I understand that. I, I definitely do, you know. I mean, I'm sure that's happened to us on this show mm-hmm. more than once, you know, oh, but yes. you guys are making a career out of it just two episodes in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, before we get into the emails and the voicemails today, um, I know I did this in episode 95, but I want to do it again here. Um, I really do want to thank everybody who donated to the Earth2.net Computer Fund. Um, as I said last time, we raised enough money for me to get a uh, brand new uh, Apple um, and uh, the software that um, I, I need, uh, you know, to run Earth2.net and the, the, the various podcasts and whatnot. Um, just. You know, seriously, thank you guys. Thank you very, very much. Um, but I want to send a special thank you out to the fellow who donated the most amount of money in the month of December and therefore will be receiving the Batman Beyond Return of the Joker DVD. That's the uncut version. Uh, as well as Batman Animated, the, the book about Batman the Animated Series, and the other book, um, uh, what was the name? Mythology, the DC Comics Art of Alex Ross. That fellow, his name is Matthew. I'm not going to say his last name on the air just for the sake of privacy, and I'm not going to say how much he donated, but he donated a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> um, so thank you very much, Matthew. 
uh, we'll get those out to you shortly. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at the PayPal email right now, and I'm not seeing your address in it. So um, if you can contact us with your address so we can send these items out to you, mm-hmm. uh, that would be much appreciated. And remember, you'll be getting two packages, one from me, which contains the books, and uh, which are right here next to my desk. I'm patting them right now. And the other one from will come from James, and uh, that will have the DVD. DVD case right there. There we go. So, uh, you know, uh, in fact, I'll probably email Matthew before this episode even goes up. But I just thought I'd, you know, put this little message in there in case he wasn't checking his email. Um, but again, guys, thank you. Thank you very, very much. It's uh, it's it's a really pretty computer. Now, all that said, you'd think I'd be recording this episode of WFP on that computer. You'd be wrong. I'd still be. I'm still doing it on my old comp- on my old PC. Because <laughs> for the life of me, I can't figure out how to record incoming audio. You know, audio from Skype into SoundBooth or uh, GarageBand or any of those programs. Um, people suggested other programs, and that's all well and good. But I've already spent money on the entire Adobe Creative Suite. I'd rather not spend any more. Um, to get these other programs. Um, so if anybody knows how to do that, please write in and let me know. I do have Soundbooth on my old PC, and, you know, it records just fine over there, but I don't know why it's not recording, you know, specifically James, for, you know, the sake of WFP, um, into Soundbooth. I just can't figure it out. So please, 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 any Mac Masters, write in and, and help us out with this. Because... I want to get the full use out of this computer. <laughs> uh, with that out of the way, you want to get into the emails? All right. First email today is from Brian, who writes, Salutations, Mike and James. I'd just like to share a point that always bothered me about Flashpoint. Specifically, who on the construction crew for the Watchtower thought it would be a great idea to keep a nuclear weapon that can send shockwaves around a quarter of the world remotely accessible? And honestly, just reminds me of the Austin Powers movies when Dr. Evil hacks into the White House's closed-circuit television. Foresight? What's that? (laughs) Despite my nitpicking, I by no means have any problems with the episode. In fact, it's one of my top five in the entire DCAU. Anyway, congratulations on almost finishing the podcast. I can't wait for the two of you to start a long-term, if there is one, show. Regards, gentlemen, Brian. Um, Well, the League, they didn't install the gun. The Lords did, didn't they? No, because this that was during the, the original Watchtower days. Oh, that's true. That's true. I forgot about that. And to be fair, it wasn't a nuclear... What did he say? It was a nuclear weapon? It's what, a what was fusion. the It's a fusion cannon. But he got, yeah. the emailer said it was a nuclear weapon, which it was not. Yeah, I mean, and, yeah, it had, a, it had a nuclear reactor, but the whole station had the nuclear reactor. Yeah, and it, it was, um, it, they say it packs the power of a small nuclear weapon. Yeah, I mean, and, and think about what they said. You know, the point of it was in case a Thanagarian-level threat ever attacked again, they could use it. Would it, you know, get them in a lot of shit to do that? Yeah, it definitely would, because as was noted, it, you know, halfway around the world, the the shockwaves were being felt, but would you rather have people get shaken up a little or completely enslaved? You know, it's sort of like, well, you know, it's it's not a great thing to have, but it it, it is needed, sadly. Yep, at least, you know, now Batman won't have to plot a suicide mission again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
All right, next one is from Nolan, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, love the show, etc., etc. I was a little surprised in episode 95 that neither one of you mentioned the Watchmen references in Question Authority. As I'm sure you know, the character Rorschach in Watchmen is based on the question. In turn, the DCAU version of the question is based partly on Rorschach. The scenes in which Question talks to Superman and Lex Luthor are very reminiscent of the scenes in Watchmen number 1, in which Rorschach talks to Dr. Manhattan and Ozymandias, respectively. Then, when Question attempts to choke Luthor with his tie, the way that uh, the shot is framed is very similar to a panel in Watchmen number 5 where Rorschach breaks up a mugging in an alley. I'd even go so far as to point out the inclusion of Captain Adam, the original inspiration for Dr. Manhattan, and the Huntress. Okay, a bit of a reach, but she is somewhat similar uh, to the Silk Spectre. You know, thank you for, for pointing those things out. I mean, I haven't really read Watchmen in a couple of years, and even if I had read it right before... You know, we recorded the last episode. I doubt I still would have noticed those things. Um, but I'm definitely glad there are people out there that, that do take note of those. Because, um, again, it just shows what big-time hardcore fanboys the producers of the DCAU are. That they're referencing back to Watchmen because, as you said, the question and Rorschach definitely have some ties there. So, good catch. I'm sad to see this podcast coming to a close, but I'll still be a listener uh, of the many other great Earth2.net podcasts, including Earth2.net, the show featuring Mike and Tranquil Tirades featuring James. And yes, I included that plug for you just so you guys wouldn't have to. <laughs> well, thank you. Next one is from Christian, who writes, Hey guys, I really enjoyed your review of the four-part finale of the Cadmus arc, which I truly think is the best DCAU ever got until epilogue. In your review of I Am Legion, I'm surprised neither of you mentioned that the episode got away with having Hitler mentioned by name, something they didn't even do in the Savage Time. On numerous occasions... You Did t- it? When? Yeah, uh, Grodd specifically says Hitler believed uh, whoever held the Spear of Longinus would be invincible. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, that for- okay, yeah. Uh, on numerous occasions, you two have lamented that Batman's villains were excluded from JLU thanks to the Bat embargo. Apart from Rachel Ghoul, which Bat villains would you have liked to have seen on the program? I'll throw Scarecrow in there. I think he could have uh, posed a pretty big threat to the League. Scarecrow versus the League would have been really cool, wouldn't it have? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would have liked one more Joker episode. Because um, they really got the Joker right in JLU and his appearances. Yeah. Um, let's see, who else? Not Bane. I think they did what they could with, the, with Bane. Um, I actually agree with that. I'm trying to think. Could they have done anything with Hatter? Uh, no. I mean, Hatter, last Hatter appearances in that uh, crossover Superman-Batman episode back in the... <gasps> no, no, no. I mean, could they have? Like, oh. Hatter versus the League. What do you think about the potential there? Uh, uh, I doubt it, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, a little bit of Joker and a little bit of... Uh... Who else did we say? Just completely forgot. Scarecrow. (laughs) Scarecrow, that's it. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, Yeah, those are the only two, I think. Yeah. Looking forward to your next next batch of reviews, especially once you get to what I consider to be the worst episode of Justice League Unlimited. (laughs) See if you can guess which one it is. I think I have a pretty good idea. Uh... Next one is from Ben, who writes, Hey guys, long-time listener, first time writing in. I'm 14 and just now joined the forums. Just wanted to say a few things. First, did you guys ever cover the Batman Superman movie? I ordered it on Netflix, and it was in continuity with the Batman Superman animated series. Also, I saw the new Young Justice cartoon, and I have to say I was amazed at what they did with it. The animation is awesome. Robin, Kid, Flash, Aqualad, and Speedy make a great team, and the story arc looks good. It's not like the Teen Titans, but it brings new characters to the table. I would highly recommend it. Can't wait to hear your reviews for Epilogue. Keep up the amazing work. 
yes, we did cover the uh, Batman Superman movie. Uh, assuming you're talking about the three-parter called World's Finest, uh, that was episode 27 of WFP. That episode is just about three hours long, actually. I'm looking at it right now. Um, so, yeah, if you're going to check that out, uh, do that. If you're talking about Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, which I don't think you are, but if you are, um, that one's not in continuity. And we did cover that on Earth 2 at the show. Um, but off the top of my head, I don't remember what episode. James, do you? Um, no, I don't remember off the top of my head. It was episode 345. Um, so, yeah, I, either way, you know, whichever one you're talking about, they both were covered, and you can go check those out. Uh, what was the second half of that email? There was another statement. About young, question. young Justice? Oh, yeah, I haven't seen any Young Justice yet. Just I've just been too busy to uh, uh, sit down and watch it. What about you? Yeah, same here. I'm way too busy right now. Okay, I've been hearing good things, though. It's something I I would like to take a, a look at at some point, but mm. just not on the radar right now. Yeah, yeah. All right, last email today is from Corey, who writes, I recently rewatched the last four Cadmus episodes and came across a possible plot hole. Do you think, or do you guys think that the question should have been kicked out of the league for trying to kill Lex since Huntress was kicked out for trying to kill Mandragora? Do we know that he wasn't kicked out? Do we see him in jail the, this next this season of JLU that we're covering? Here? Yeah, we do. What episode? Um, God, what is it? Uh, Grudge Match, I think is the name of the episode. Okay, okay. For some reason, I didn't think we saw the question ever again. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it does seem a little hypocritical, but keep in mind that the Huntress had tried to kill a couple of people. Uh, you know, that's the implication. that John says she was warned about pulling shit like that. Mm-hmm. And... You know, the question doing what he did, yeah, he definitely was going to cross a line by trying to strangle Lex Luthor with his tie, but, <laughs> um, you know, they probably just slapped him on the wrist and was like, dude, don't do that again, you know? <laughs> and it secretly whispered, go for it. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's definitely a good point. There is a bit of hypocrisy there. All right, and I believe now we have a couple of voicemails. Yes, first one is from our pale Tom DJ. Hello there, Mike and James. It is I, Tom DJ, calling you straight out of Brooklyn from Better in the Dark Laboratories. I just finished listening to the most latest, the latest episode, 95, and uh, Michael, I hate to break it to you, but I know that you went on this rant about uh, Brian Michael Bendis ripping off uh, the Legion of Doom plotline from the last season, but be honest, that plot line, that whole concept was done back in the 80s with uh, Mark Grunwald's, during Mark Grunwald's Captain America run with his new Surface Society, where it was the same situation. A group of hero, a group of supervillains basically forming a union, if you will, um, for protection. Um, there are enough variants, and I think all three versions, that, um, kind of preclude, you know, bald-faced ripping off, but they, this is not, it was an original idea to the Tim verse either. Um, I gotta admit, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing this, uh, you wrap up this last episode of, last you know, season of Justice League Unlimited, because uh, I always, I have a fondness for it, because it seemed like it was the quote-unquote best 
you know, it's like it's like a tour of the DC universe. It's like the last hurrah where we go to all the places I think Bruce, Tim, and company wanted to go in all their previous shows, but never got around to doing. So that's why we get to see guitarists and we get to see all these other like really cool places. And it does feature two, you know, one of my absolute all-time favorite episodes in the entire DCU, which I think you may be coming up to really soon. One involving. Um, the my favorite character in the DC in the JLU, which is of course the vigilante, um, and um, probably my favorite line of all time ever uttered, which is the Michael Rosenbaum line. But anyway, uh, just thought you'd like to know. Don't get don't get angry at Brian Michael Bendis because Mark Grunwald was there before anybody. I'll talk to you later. All right, peace. Thank you, Tom, for that. Um... I really had no clue that it had happened uh, in the 80s. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, I I don't take back my rant. I just change my rant. So now Bendis wasn't ripping off the DCAU. He was ripping off Mark Grunwald. So <laughs> either way, he was ripping someone off. But definitely thank you. Thank you very much for uh, writing in and uh, uh, pointing that out. And we have one more, and this one is from Joe. Hey guys, Joe from Connecticut. Uh, just uh, calling to say, again, I'm going to miss the show when it's over, but uh, B, it's looking more and more like for uh, the Dark Knight Rises, or Night Rises, whatever the hell the next Batman movie is going to be called. It's looking more and more like it is actually going to be Talia showing up. Uh, just out of curiosity, what do you all think of that? I'll talk to you soon. So, James, what do you think about this, this latest batch of rumors that we are going to see Talia um, in the next Batman movie? Nothing confirmed, as far as I know, but th- these are the rumors that are floating around. Um, wait-and-see approach. I don't think you can take it any other way. Yeah. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not against it at all. Mm-hmm. Talia is a very interesting character. So, uh, again, I'm going to just wait and see on it. Yeah, I definitely have a wait-and-see approach, um, but I do feel that if it is going to be Talia, what they should have done was introduced her in the first movie. Raish does mention a family. He says they were killed. Um, Maybe somehow they survived, but it would have been nice if she was just there, even if there was just a female henchman hanging around in that uh, little temple. And they brought her back, and it turns out, oh my god, that's Talia al Ghul, you know? But, I mean, whatever. We'll, yeah, we'll just see how they how they handle it. I more am interested in how it seems, anyway, that they might have Hugo Strange in there, which is, I think is really cool. Yeah, again, you know, how do you do that, though, and, and, and all that. Um, well, you got to figure Batman is an enemy, a uh, public enemy right now, so it could, mm-hmm. it could work very easily. How do you figure? What are you thinking? Well, you know, Hugo Strange, you know, figures out Bruce Wayne is Batman, so mm-hmm. that, that right there, there's some kind of blackmail storyline you could do. I, you know, just well, I don't know if they'll go that route because they sort of tease that in The Dark Knight with uh, that one dude figuring out and then trying to blackmail Lucius, and then Lucius getting in his face, being all like, "Really? That that's that's your plan?" <laughs> um, so I don't know if they'll go that way again. Um, I am a little, just a little sad that we're not going to see Riddler, though, because I think there was a lot of potential there for Riddler to be 
uh, a good guy, be it a, a detective or something, and then become a bad guy, obsessed with finding out who Batman is or something to that nature. Yeah, well, there were even some rumors that, um, uh, what was the name of the reporter in the second Batman movie? It was uh, Anthony Michael Hall. I don't his, remember his name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, that character, there were rumors that that was going to turn out to be the Riddler because, like, his name was like an anagram for Edward Nigma or something. I don't remember how it all worked out, but his name was an anagram for something. Um, so, yeah, it is a little disappointing because we've, of course, many times we've spoken about you wanted, what was it, David Hyde Pierce? Yeah. I wanted David Tennant. You know, we we both wanted to see the Riddler in there, and you're right, it doesn't look like we're gonna, so... Oh well, I mean, we'll have to wait for the next Batman reboot. In 6600 BC, two Thanagarian law officers were sucked through a wormhole into an uncharted sector of space. They landed here when their ship ran out of fuel. They were stranded no way to get home they decided to use their technology to improve the lives of the locals and they succeeded beyond their wildest dreams they turned this arid waste into a paradise we ruled this land with fairness and compassion and the people loved us but there were factions that resented these two gods from another world a jealous priest poisoned us poisoned you and me do you understand now? We died, Shaira. The extraordinary society we created fell in less than a generation. Its technological secrets lost. Until I rediscovered them. Zorbacron is just a database that you interface with telepathically. What you saw was probably just the ship's log. It's old, probably damaged. It filled your mind with thoughts, feelings, memories that weren't your own. We're not reincarnated lovers. First up today is Shadow of the Hawk. And this one, uh, it opens up with Green Lantern, Vixen, Shira, and Batman fighting the extremists. And once they defeat them, a man just walks right through the police barricade up to Shaira and introduces himself as Carter Hall. He sh then shows her a sword that Batman swipes from him as he sneaks up behind him, and Batman recognizes it as Thanagarian, and the leaguers note that uh, most, not all, of the Thanagarian weapons from the invasion were confiscated and contraband. Uh, Hall says that it's not from the invasion. It's a relic from thousands of years ago. He claims he found it in Egypt during an archaeological dig, and he wants Shaira to accompany him on a follow-up excavation. Uh, she reluctantly agrees. It, mostly it looks like to throw it in John's face. Uh, and Batman says, look, we'll use the Metro Tower's equipment to uh, examine the artifact and back to him on it. Uh, as everyone leaves, uh, Carter's shadow stays put on the wall behind him and leaves seconds later. So after the title card, Batman and Shire, uh confirm through carbon dating that the sword is... What do they say? Like eight thousand years old or something? Yeah, like eight thousand. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Shaira leaves to go on her date with Carter, and she walks into an elevator later with uh, GL there, and she's wearing this ridiculously short skirt, and uh, Shaira pretty much just taunts the hell out of him the whole time. 
So Batman then enters the elevator and says, oh, glad I caught you before you did something stupid. <laughs> and she's like, excuse me? So he says, uh, Carter Hall. He had a different birth name. Uh, and and John Stewart's like, he lied. He's like, no, no, no. He, uh, he legally changed it to Carter Hall years ago or six months ago or something. Uh, he was a professor of archaeology who stained his reputation by claiming that aliens landed in ancient Egypt. And Sherry's like, oh, well, they must be a freak because we know there aren't aliens. And uh, he, Batman's like, there's more. He also frequents the Internet, namely the anti-hot-girl bulletin boards. <laughs> he keeps getting banned from them for flaming the anti-Shayera posters. <laughs> okay, and Shayera's like, big fucking deal. He's a fan. Batman says, he's a stalker. So Batman later shows Shayera several clips of Hall being at various JLU fights and uh, – at this point, Green Lantern's ready to go kick some Carter Hall ass. And Shire basically just tells them both to fuck off and mind their own business, and she leaves. Uh, Lantern then says, look, this isn't right. When we went to the future, we saw my son, mine and Shire's. We're supposed to be together. It's destiny. Batman then breaks out the logic bomb and says, uh, if you really believe that, why are you still with Vixen? Uh, next, we see Shire and Carter exiting a javelin in Egypt, and the uh, flirt meter reaches critical mass. Flirt meter? It's the... The night after meter. Okay. I mean, they flat out say they had sex. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, they don't say they had sex, but they say they had sex. Yeah, yeah. Shira busts out, you didn't miss it last night. So yeah, exactly. That's, that's all you need to know. Yeah. So they enter this tomb, and Shira is nearly killed by a booby trap, but Carter saves her, and she then tells him to lead the way. Meanwhile, elsewhere in the tomb, we see that Batman is following them with a tracer, and... uh he then shows off his utter badassery by walking straight into a booby-trapped hallway with dozens of metal spikes just jutting out one after another after another, and he just dodges every single one of them. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite moments of JLU, i got to tell you. <laughs> um, Carter and Shire reach the deepest part of the tomb, and Carter says, Look, I haven't been completely honest with you. My real name is Katar Hall, and you and I are the reincarnations of lovers who died here millions of years ago. Or millions of years ago. Thousands of years ago. And, uh... You can call me Hawkman. <laughs> yes, come on. <laughs> I love that she just starts laughing at him. I know, I know. <laughs> she starts laughing, and Carter's like, I'm serious. Batman then, uh, meanwhile, makes his way up to this ledge, and it looks like his own shadow starts to attack him, and it throws him off of a ledge just into this abyss. We don't know what happens to him. Um, the shadow then steals the tracer, and... Uh, Carter says that he found a device called an Absorbicron, and it showed him the past. And uh, he and Sh basically what happened was he and Shaira crash landed in ancient Egypt and had no way of leaving. So they used their technology to improve the lives of the natives, and they became revered as gods. Unfortunately, there were factions who resented them, and someone poisoned them. Uh, and from then on, their civilization crumbled in just a few years. But uh, Carter here discovered their spaceship in the present time, which has its own chamber in the tomb. And Shire says, look, the Absorbicron is just a database. It wasn't meant for human minds to interact with. And it's damaged. We're not reincarnated lovers. Hawkman insists, though, but when he grabs her arm, Shire just throws him across the room. And at this point, two shadow creatures attack them and knock them out. Uh, when they awaken, Shire recognizes the guy as the shadow thief. And uh, Shadow Thief demands that Carter unlock the final line of defenses so that he can steal the most valuable treasure to sell on the black market, or else he will decapitate Shaira. 
uh, before Carter can unlock the, uh, or get past the defenses, I should say, uh, Batman intervenes and Shadow Thief attacks him, but Batman manages to throw this light flare thing at uh, Shadow Thief, which incapacitates him. But this causes his all of his shadow mass to go flying into this wall, and it causes these mummy robot things to start attacking them. And while they're being distracted, Shadow Thief goes after all the treasures, while Hawkman and Batman tend with the robots, uh, tangle with the robots. And uh, Shira enters the treasure chamber and lights her mace in front of Shadow Thief, which hurts him. And Hawkman and Batman follow suit with a torch and a flare, but Shadow Thief just turns himself into a tornado, and it causes the entire place to start caving in. They do manage to get out, but Hawkman tries to go back for the Absorbicron, and Shaira has to knock him out just to get him back out of there. Uh, back up top, Hawkman says, look, I know the truth. Sh- he and Shaira are the reincarnations of Katar and Shaira Hall, and he loves her. And he leaves saying that she'll see the truth eventually, and sh- uh, as- after he leaves, Shaira then turns her attention to Batman and says, how, f- how dumb do you think I am? Scale of one to ten? <laughs> Funny. Uh, and she's... She says that she knew all, basically, she knew all along that the Bat Tracer was on her mace handle, and she asks how much he heard, and he simply says, uh, just a bunch of nonsense about reincarnation and destiny, and she kind of lightens up here and says, maybe it isn't nonsense, and Batman just uh, looks down at her and says, if you really believe that, and, uh, the last thing, yeah, the last thing we see is a camera pan back down to the caved-in tomb, and there's a sarcophagus that came open amongst the wreckage, and uh, it shows the mummified bodies of a pharaoh and his lover holding hands in death. Yes. So what do you think? I kind of like this one. Um, I don't think this one's great. I think it's a little better than average. Um, you know, it's... I, okay, here's the thing. I like the stuff with Shaira and Carter, Katar, whatever we're going to call them. I like that it's very clear John's still conflicted, you know, still has feelings for her, but, you know, is with this other woman, but he, because he went to the future and he saw they had a kid together, he doesn't know what's going to happen there. I like all that, but then when the shadow guy shows up and it, it turns out he's just, a, he just is there for the gold. Just, <laughs> if he's a fucking shadow guy, why the fuck can't he just walk through the walls and get to the gold? Why does he need Carter to, to, untrip the traps. I don't get that. That is a um, very good question. If, if he can sit there and turn into a tornado and destroy that entire fucking pyramid, why doesn't he just do that and then grab all the gold? You know, it's that, that stuff bothers me and really brings this one down. But like I said, otherwise, I think up until that point, it's, it's a halfway decent episode. Uh, what about you? This is actually one of my personal favorites okay. uh, for the last season of JLU. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have watched this one God knows how many times. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's just an enjoyable one. I love the interactions between Shire and Batman and Shire and Carter. Really, Shire and everybody. Shire is awesome in this episode. And, uh, but my question about this is, and you had a great point there, but I gotta ask, you know, Car- what Carter claims actually does turn out to be true. He and Shire are the reincarnations. Mm-hmm. But, if that's the case, why were Carter and Shire reincarnated on different planets? Um, probably because the cosmos is, or the heavens are vast, and they they decided to reincarnate them on different planets. I don't know. 
<laughs> I mean, okay, let's put it this way. Recently we've talked about that one Wonder Woman episode that dealt all with Greek mythology. But they also brought in the Judeo-Christian mythology. Mm-hmm. Well, here they're bringing in... You know, previously they've talked about Thanagarians and, you know, whether they have religion or not. So clearly there's some sort of Thanagarian heaven, too. So I just got to assume the afterlife is the afterlife, no matter what the religion is. And Shaira was reincarnated on, uh, uh, I just lost the name of the planet. Thanagar. Thanagar. And Carter was reincarnated on Earth. Plus, we don't know how many times they were, they've been reincarnated over the 8,000 years since they died. Mm-hmm. Um, they, one of them might have been re- resurrected as a Martian at some point, the other as an Atlantean. We don't know. We really don't know. Um, yeah, I, I, it really doesn't bother me that they were reincarnated in two different spots. Okay. Another thing I do love about this episode is the background music, especially mm-hmm. in the tomb. It's very creepy, but, uh, very cool at the same time. I don't think I was paying attention to the music in this one. I'll it's not, it's not even so much music per se. It's, it, I mean, I, I guess it is, but it's it's uh, hard to define, really. But it's it works. Whatever background noise they were using, it was it was great. Okay. Something that kind of bugged me is, though I appreciated the fact that they went very mature, and without saying it, said that you know Carter and Shayra had sex. Okay. There's two things that bother me about this. One is at some point, I think he touches her hand, or she touches his, and she pulls away as if she's scared of him. And it's like, you had sex with the guy the night before. Why are you acting like that, you know? And two, Batman says this guy's stalking you. He proved to her that this guy is stalking her. You know, later on, she even starts to believe this, but she still had sex with the guy? Like, what is up with that? There was actually, there was a blink and you miss it kind of thing. If you, uh... After the the dart trap that almost kills uh, Shaira that Carter saves her from, mm-hmm. she kind of nudges him along with her mace. Uh, yeah. If you look really closely, you can actually see the bat tracer on the bottom of the mace for just a split second. Yeah, yeah. That was one of those things where previous times when I saw this one, um, I, I noticed it. And this time I did blink and I missed it, so I so, sort of forgot about it. Um, and then when she pulled it off at the end and showed Batman that she knew it was there, I was like, oh yeah, I, for- I forgot that was there. That's how subtle it is. Cause as you said, it literally is a blink and you miss it moment. Speaking of visuals, how about that awesome visual on Batman's cape <laughs> with the, uh, the light bomb thing that he threw? Oh, I don't know if I know what, what did I miss? Okay. okay. Well, you know, he throws the thing at shadow thief and it yeah. ignites all over him. When mm-hmm. Batman lands on the ground, the cape kind of fl- flings back in the direction he he was jumping from, and oh. it, it like shows all all of the the points of his cape. Not like we ever have seen in in all the DCAU before but with his cape. This was a a new animation style, and it it, it was really detailed. I, I think you should go back and and look at it. You'll you'll know immediately what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'll do that. I just wrote down cape in my in my notes, so I'll check that out. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, while we're talking about Batman's costume, interesting that at the end of the episode, he's got a fresh costume. Uh-huh, after it's just been torn to fuck in the... Yeah, I mean, sure, you could say maybe he keeps one an extra one in the javelin, you know, but it's still like, it would have been nice to have a little continuity there where he's still in a torn-up costume. 
Um, but whatever, you know, I don't, I, I don't think it's, uh, worth taking a point off. I think if the javelin weren't there, then I'd go, where do you get the new costume? But you can very easily say, ah, oh, yet another one in a suitcase in the boot, you know, <laughs> um, let's see, last couple of things I want to say here are, uh, I love Shaira's reaction to the anti-hawk girl forums. <laughs> <laughs> But she's like, wait, forums? How many are there? And Batman's and Batman. like, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. 57 web rings. Yeah. Unaffiliated sites number in the hundreds. Yeah. Forget I asked. <laughs> you know, and you, you got to figure, yeah, considering she was a traitor to, you know, all the superheroes and Earth in general. Yeah, there really would be a whole slew of anti-Hawkgirl forums with there. <laughs> Oh, that was great stuff. I just love her reaction. And, uh, you know, you mentioned it in the synopsis. I really do love that moment in the elevator where it looks like John and Shaira might kiss. And then the elevator stops, and uh, you see Batman looking in through the little window. Not like he's peeping in, like like Stalker Superman from Superman Returns. He's just standing there waiting for the elevator. Um, and then he drops that line, I'm glad I caught you before you did something stupid. Because it's meant to both of them, but it's also meant... More towards uh, Shaira before she goes on her date. Uh, just, just nice little things that they're adding in there. Uh, what else do you want to say about this one? I don't really have anything else to say other than I loved the ending of this episode with the, mm-hmm. them showing the actually showing the interior of the sarcophagus. Yeah, it's another thing. You, you kind of wonder how they got away with it, just because it is a couple of dead bodies there, really. Yeah. But, but still, it, it was a great visual. And, again, it had that same kind of background music behind it. You know, you've mentioned the music a couple times now. I I am going to go back and listen for that, too, Um, because somehow I just missed that element of it. And maybe that'll, as I said, I think this one's above average, so maybe that one will help boost my grade up just a little, too, uh, once I get the whole atmosphere of it all. Tell us about Demas. Yeah, nasty wizard. Those were his dino troopers you met. He used to try and shake down a kingdom here and there, but a few months ago he started this big push to take over the world. And that was about the same time he discovered energy weapons. All of a sudden, the wizard's gone high-tech. Somebody's supplying him. Back when I was in the Air Force, that energy stuff was science fiction. That explains why Morgan the Barbarian packs an automag. Came through the portal and made myself at home. Look around you. These are some of the last free people in Scar Terrace. Demas has us pinned between his army and the Great Stone. I'll bite. What Great Stone? The monks keep it in a tabernacle deep inside the mountain. They say it's got magic properties. Demas wants it. Bad. Next up is Chaos at the Earth's Core. In this one, okay, we got Stargirl, Stripe, Green Lantern, and Supergirl, right? Yep. Okay, uh, well, before Supergirl shows up, uh, it turns out that uh, the, the three other ones I mentioned, they're fighting Gamera, of all creatures, uh-huh. in, in Japan. And uh, they're trying to take this this thing down. Uh, for those of you who don't know what Gamera is, the giant turtle. Um, <laughs> first thing I wrote in my notes was Gamera with an exclamation point. But anyways, um, they're fighting this big old turtle thing, and uh, they've got it on the ropes, and they're, you know, they're trying to lure it into this trap. And uh, Supergirl shows up, and she's really the one that brings uh, all the elements together and really does uh, help take it down. Uh, in the process, though, we see that Stargirl is very, 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 very bitchy and jealous <laughs> about Supergirl. Uh, when they get back on the ground, um, she's all like, I don't get her, blah, 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 blah. 
and uh, she, she she's she's more incensed by the fact that there is a Supergirl convention going on in Japan. She melts off some more, and some chubby little Japanese girl uh, <laughs> runs up to Stargirl and kicks. I think she kicks her, doesn't she? Right, right in the shin. <laughs> kicks her in the shin, and she's like, you know, you don't yell about Supergirl being bad or whatever she says. <laughs> um, she later, hit you with her eyes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> And before anybody writes in, that's how she sounded. Don't think James was being stereotypical. They were stereotypical with with the voice actress there. Yup. <laughs> um, but anyways, they all get in the javelin. They're flying home, and uh, they get sucked into some portal. Uh, it should be said they're going over the North Pole because it's the quickest way home. They get sucked into this portal, and they are brought to the center of the Earth, where, I forget the name of the land, but it's the land where, you know, the warlord lives, uh, Mike Grell's warlord. And uh, what's going on here is uh, there's this big battle. Um, you know, it's, it's you know, Conan the Barbarian, swords and sandals and sorcery type, type setting. But uh, somehow, uh, the big bad villain, he's gotten his hands on sci-fi tech. And uh, so the superheroes were purposely brought here by Warlord who at one point was an outsider himself, I think he was in the Air Force, um, to help them win this battle and push back the, the big bad enemy of the world and also find out where the uh, all, all the bad guys, all the... and his minions are getting the, this high-tech weaponry. And uh, it turns out they're actually getting that from... It was Metallo and... What's her name? Banshee? Screaming Banshee? Screaming Silver. Mimi? Silver. Sil- Silver Banshee, that's it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, they're getting it from them, and the reason those two are there is because there's this thing called the Healing Rock, and uh, they want this Healing Rock, Healing Stone, whatever, uh, because it's a giant, and I mean giant piece of kryptonite. Um, while they're there, because they're at the center of the Earth, Supergirl, she's not getting uh, the radiation from the yellow sun, so she's losing her powers. She's also exposed to the kryptonite, uh, so she's dying from that, too. Um, and uh, all the heroes and all the people of this land have to come together to stop all of the villains. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, it comes down to a virtually depowered Supergirl to stop Metallo. Um but what what she does is he he grabs her, he starts choking her, and she pulls out a knife and she pulls out the kryptonite, you know, his kryptonite heart, and it lands on the ground. Now the problem is without the kryptonite heart, he can't move, um, so he'll die. But because he can't move, and because he's got her in his grip, and because she's not super powered anymore, she can't get away. So he tells her, he's like, "Yeah, I, I might die, but I'll know that I took you with me." Well, Star Girl, uh, what does she do? She grabs the kryptonite, flings it away. So Supergirl's okay. And uh, later on, they try questioning Metallo, saying, uh, you know, what are, what are you guys doing here? And uh, when they try to... Do they mind probe him? What do they do? No, Metallo finally gives in because he's going to die if he doesn't get his child. Oh, back. that's right. Yeah, so he starts talking, but um, his brain goes kablooey. And uh, they start to realize that something is going on here. And uh, so they leave the center of the Earth, and they close off the portal um, so no one else can get to that big, huge chunk of kryptonite. Because it was suggested that they take it, but uh, they leave it behind because there's something about the kryptonite there that has some sort of healing properties. But they don't want any of Superman's uh, foes finding out about it. 
or having access to it. So again, that's why they closed off the portal to uh, the the Warlord's land. So uh, that pretty much does this one, right? Mm-hmm. What you thinking there, Mister? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it safe to say that this is JLU's version of the terrible trio? I don't hate this one. I hate this one. <laughs> okay, well, go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me why. I it is painfully dumb on every imaginable level. Uh, Star Girl is just epically, epically annoying in every mm-hmm. scene she's in. There's no reason for her to be this bitchy, and yeah. yet. She is, and mm-hmm. l- literally all but one scene, yeah. and that's when she saves Supergirl at the end. Yeah. Uh, and this script is so god awful. I just, I, I want to plug my ears while I, while I watch this. <laughs> just, just awful. Now, I, I will say I like Metallo being there. It was kind of yeah. cool because yeah. I, I like, I like Metallo the character, the DCAU mm-hmm. Metallo. So. Cool to see him one more time. Uh, yeah, that. Yeah, I mm-hmm. I just cannot stand this episode. I've I have watched it twice before, <laughs> and this is the third time, and it will probably be the last. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't I don't know. Is this one great? now? it's it's average at best, honestly. Um, I, you know, I'll start with my gripes with this one. You know, they bring in Warlord, right? And then he disappears for half the flipping episode. He doesn't just, show up at, until the end. When, you know, he doesn't show up again until the end when he has to fight off what's his name, Demos, 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 yeah, Demos, yeah. When he has to fight him off, and then he's like, "Ha ha ha! I'm gonna beat you!" And then he does, and we get a Demos upskirt as he falls to his death. By the way, um, because we needed else. that. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, we needed that. Can't get a Supergirl upskirt, but we can get a Demos one. But whatever. Um, and I love how Warlord wields a fucking Desert Eagle. <laughs> yeah. or, or a Glock. I think it was a Desert Eagle, though. Maybe. I, I don't know what it was. I don't know my guns, but yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so, like I said, he, they bring in this kind of cool character with a great visual, and, and he just disappears. Um, I do think the story is, is sort of generic. We've kind of seen it before, too, in, um, what was that Teen Titans episode we covered where uh, Cyborg went back in time? Yeah, uh... Fucking, what's that chick, the little girl's name? Um, ah! I, I would be able to... Cole. Yeah, that was it. Oh, no, that's not the one I was thinking of, but you're right. It combines the episode of Cole with uh, the one where he went back in time and joined oh. that tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, so it's, yeah, bringing those two together, you know, this is this is familiar ground for us, and it, it doesn't break any new ground while doing it. Um and there's definitely some glitches in this one, too. Maybe it was just my DVD. But when Supergirl was climbing the stairs right before she and Metallo have their final moment together, it it, um, the, it sounded like the audio, like there were complete glitches in the audio. Were you catching that? Um, I wasn't. But that could be just because I was so begging this one to be over with, I wasn't really paying attention to it. Yeah, the audio just seemed to just, like, break. Like, I, that's the only way I can describe it. Um and then there's another moment where the audio went wonky. When uh, okay, so Supergirl, she's climbed up all these stairs, right? And she's like, she she's sitting down, almost laying down, and she tries to pick up the sword, and she drops it. Now, mind you, she's on like a wooden platform, and we can see the ground beneath her, but the ground's you know, I, Lord knows how many feet beneath her. Okay, the tip of the sword hits the air, 
not the wood platform she's on, the air, and it goes tink, tink before it even hits the wood. As if it was hitting the ground, but the ground is way beneath her. Do you understand what I'm saying? Right, yeah. Go If, if you're so inclined, and you're probably not, go back and watch that. I, I, I double-checked on that. And yet it tinks on the invisible ground before it even hits the wood. It's a little nitpicky, but I only, I'll only i tell you what, I only noticed it because the audio had glitched right before that. So I was kind of on the lookout for audio glitches at that point. I thought I had more positive things to say about this one. Here's another negative i got to throw out about this one. Uh, Metello's arm gets ripped off, right? Yep. Why does he scream in pain? <laughs> the whole point of the character is that he doesn't feel anything, and that's why he's pissed off, because he used to be all about just enjoying life and women and food and just savoring all of it, and he can't feel anything, even pain, but he's feeling pain here? Huh? What? Yeah. what? Uh, and he rips his own arm off. It doesn't get ripped off. Well, I mean, it gets half ripped off, and he pulls it off the rest of the way, but you're right, it's he's pulling it off and screaming in pain. Yeah, he got hurt by the Stargirl staff thing first. Mm -hmm. That's why he rips it off. Yeah, it was all cybernetic, too. It wasn't like it was, you know, he doesn't have any skin left. Here's another thing. I thought this was a cool moment when he just grabs Stargirl and just smashes her in the wall. That was cool. Because it just shows how brutal that guy is, you know. But Stargirl, as far as I know, she doesn't have a protective energy shield around her. She's definitely not superhuman. She just has that staff. At the time, I don't even think she had the staff in her hand. And she gets plowed into that wall. I am sorry. She's dead. That she gets up and continues fighting at almost full strength right away, that really does bug it, me. It depends on if the staff was in her hand or not, and I don't remember if it was or not. I really don't think it was. If it was in her hand or if Metalla was holding it in his other hand, maybe we could say there was a protective field put around Metallo and therefore Stargo because he was touching her. If it was not in her hand, as I think it was, she is dead. Yeah. She is absolutely dead. Totally. Um, now, here we go. I'm going I'm to get into the good things I have to say about this one. Okay. Um, again, they, they brought in Warlord. I thought that was really cool on their part. Um, I like the fact that John now seems to have a respect for Supergirl, where before he didn't. Um, yeah, he's, he's when they're in the plane or the javelin together, he's teasing her, but he's teasing her in a very friendly way. No longer is it the... Uh, mean-spirited way he used to get on her case. Mm -hmm. That said, the way he used to treat Supergirl, he's now treating Stargirl. And she deserves it. Oh, she absolutely does deserve it, but I like the fact that now that Supergirl has more training and has grown up some, has definitely matured, he's, he's easing off of her, but now he's starting to rail into the new immature member of the team. Mm -hmm. Um... So it kind of makes me take back what I was saying about the way he was treating Supergirl before, because at least they're being consistent with it. He very much is acting like the drill sergeant, which he would, having been a Marine. Yep. Um, so yeah, any, anything I said negatively about that before, I definitely do take back. Um, I love Supergirl's new look Yep. The, with the new costume and whatnot. That was cool. Is her hair longer, too? Yeah, I mean, maybe. Yeah, yeah. It, seemed, it seemed a little longer. And I really liked uh, Stripe getting on Stargirl's case. I think it was Stripe being like, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't talk behind the back of someone with super hearing. Because uh -huh. <laughs> she is just mouthing off. Oh, yeah, Stargirl in this one's bad, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm sorry, I've been going on for like 10 minutes. What else do you want to say about this one? I'd say good or bad, but I know it can only go one way. Pretty much, I because... 
my an, another question I have is how the kryptonite got down there in the first place. Right. And beyond that, um, kryptonite cancer much? Every single person in that little world down there should have uh, at least at least low grade kryptonite cancer. Well, they say that the kryptonite down there either kills or heals, and they do have some sort of sun like power that was like purplish, pinkish, or whatever. Maybe something about the way the kryptonite reacts with that energy source, that sun they have, staves off the cancer. I I'm stretching. I really don't know. I really, you're right. They should all be having cancer and dying. Green, green deaths. <laughs> yeah. Um, Brainiac yeah. is inside all of them. He's saving them. I <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I guess my last note is, uh, again, it's another negative one. I mean, th- this Demos, Demos guy, however it's pronounced, this guy is such a pathetically bad villain. It's not, yeah. it's not even funny. Yeah. Uh, his lines are just like, it's like they're ripped out of a cheesy 1960s villain handbook. Mm-hmm. E- everything he does. And, and, and especially when a warlord just magically jumps back into the fray in the castle keep there, wherever they were. The only good line he has, oh, Morgan, I was hoping to kill you today. That was a good line. Other yeah, than that, yeah. everything else he said, I wanted to just drill, <laughs> take a drill bit right into my, my ear canal. Oh, you know what? Well, while we're talking about Deimos or whatever the hell his name is, so his his minion shows up, and you know he's trying to tell them that these superheroes show showed up, and uh, he draws the Superman crest because Supergirl's wearing it, of course, into the sand, saying this is what one of them was wearing. Well, Deimos then completely blasts and disintegrates that guy as if he understands what that symbol means, and now he's pissed off that Superman or Supergirl is there, correct? Yeah, I guess. Then he turns around, and he's like, oh, do either of you know what this symbol means? And out walks Silver Banshee, or whatever the hell her name is, and uh, Metallo. So he clearly doesn't know what the symbol means, so why did he get all pissed off when he saw it? Is it meant something to him? I've always, I, I really mean this, I've always just been of the uh, opinion that Deimos was trying to look like a just a uber villain there and vaporizes his own minion just for pissing him off. I really mean that. Okay, th- that'll work for me. I just needed it justified. Okay, cool. In Scandinavia, early in the 10th century, lived Prince John, the greatest warrior of his era. His tremendous skill and valor brought him fame throughout the world as the legendary Viking Prince. His adventures were epic, as were the legends that grew around his exploits. This much we know to be truth. On a frozen battlefield, Prince John, sole survivor of a bloody war, its purpose lost to time, met a Valkyrie, a messenger from the Norse gods, sent to escort the souls of fallen heroes to their reward in the halls of Valhalla. Impossibly, they fell in love and swore their hearts to each other. But Odin, king of the Norse gods, discovered their illicit affair and enraged, banished John from Valhalla. The Viking prince pleaded with Odin for mercy, begging to be allowed to remain with his love. Odin agreed, saying that if John died a heroic death, he and his love would again be united for all eternity. But Odin was a crafty god and cruel. Before exiling John, he gifted him with invulnerability to harm, 
from metal, wood, fire, and water. The Viking Prince soon realized that he would never die a hero's death, because no weapon on earth could slay him. He trod boldly across a troubled world in search of adventure and an honorable death, growing ever more distant from humanity. Eventually, weary of the endless fight for justice and despairing in his loneliness, he sailed north, beyond the boundaries of the known world, and passed from the knowledge of men. That is, until now. Next up is To Another Shore. This one opens up with uh, a guy in a boat uh, crashing into a chunk of ice in the Arctic Circle uh, around Scandinavia. And when he gets out, he sees a Viking ship jutting out of a huge ice wall. So after the opening theme, we go up to the watchtower and Diana enters the bridge. And she says she is the Themyscira representative at the Global Warming Summit. And Green Arrow is obviously very supportive of this. And Diana turns her attention to Jean, who she wants to join her because he's been cooped up in the Watchtower for the better part of two years. And she then says the reason he never leaves is because he doesn't like humanity all that much. And she leaves and says, look, we are going to talk about this later. So, meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom, <laughs> Luthor says he has augmented the powers of at least some of the villains, possibly all of them, uh, making them all much more powerful. And uh, Black Manta, I fucking refuse to call him Devil Ray, is there. Yeah, in my notes I kept writing down Manta or something like that. What did I, yeah, I wrote down Manta, and then I'm like, wait, Devil Ray? What the fuck is that? But anyways. Yeah, the, it was the Aquaman embargo. Yeah, oh, true, yeah, yeah. So, but I, I'm calling him Black Manta. I fucking refuse to call him Devil Ray. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, he is there being one of the the, uh, the beneficiaries of Luthor's uh, vast intelligence, and... Uh, he wants to know the plan, but Grodd says, nope, it's story time. Hmm. Uh, and he s starts telling this uh, tale. Uh, apparently, in the 11th century, there was a man, Prince John of the Vikings, who was beyond renowned for his heroism, strength, and bravery in battle. He was a legend in his own time. And, However, one day, John was apparently the only survivor of this horribly bloody battle, and he saw Valkyrie, a messenger from the Norse gods, who was sent to escort the dead to their rightful place in Valhalla. Uh, however, he and the Valkyrie fell in love, and Odin was not at all pleased by this, and he banished John from Valhalla forever. And John pleaded with Odin to let him remain with his love. So Odin said, okay, if you die a heroic death on the battlefield, you will be allowed to return to Valhalla. However, Odin... Uh, was at his most assholishness, and uh, as he was exiling John, he granted John invulnerability to all harm from metal, wood, fire, and water. Therefore, John essentially could not be killed by any mortal weapon. So he traveled the world in search of a noble death on the battlefield, but obviously it never happened, and his endless fighting caused him to grow more and more distant from humani uh, humanity, and he simply just gave up and sailed north, never to be seen or spoken of again. And Grodd says that the Viking prince's corpse is on that ship that they discovered in Scandinavia, and he wants them to steal it to reverse engineer the secret to his invulnerability. But he still won't tell the Legion his ultimate plan, though. And we go to the Global Warming Conference, and Diana is not making herself look very good by threatening military action from Finiscara against those who don't share her viewpoints. Uh... 
she then walks outside and after a, an interesting conversation with King Faraday, uh, an earthquake starts and we see Killer Frost, Heatwave, Giganta and Black Manta beginning their assault trying to steal the ancient ship. Uh, Diana during the fray gets shot with one of Manta's poison darts and she is severely weakened. Uh, she then calls for uh, Jean uh, to get down there uh, and help her. And uh, he, along with Green Arrow, teleports down there. And uh, Jean, at some point, briefly gets to read uh, Giganta's mind, and he sees what the importance of that ship is, and he knows that they can't let them get it, or it will be, it could be the end of the world. And uh, Giganta's mind gets shorted out like Metallo's uh, before, so Jean does his usual, ah, thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we needed it one more time. Uh, hey, you can't bring John back without having him suffer a psychic attack, can you? Nope. Yeah. So Manta does manage to get uh, to his submarine and yanks uh, the ship out of the mountain with these massive harpoons. Uh, and also, I think this somehow starts a massive avalanche uh, that threatens to bury the entire conference building. Uh, so Jean grabs Killer Frost and tells her to stop the avalanche or she and he will be frozen along with it. Uh I should mention that Green Arrow somehow sneaked aboard uh, Black Manta's submarine yeah. uh, to try and unlatch the harpoons. I don't remember how, though. Uh, he just, ju- he just uh, shot uh, like a harpoon arrow of his own, zipped down the line, opened up a hatch, and jumped in. That was it. Okay. Yeah. S- singing his theme the entire time. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, so uh, Arrow makes it to the control board while Diana is underwater fighting Black Manta in the sea. Uh, but Ollie is captured, and uh, at this point, Diana does manage to crush Manta's oxygen tank and send him uh, unconscious to the surface of the water. And uh, Faraday arrives on the scene uh, underwater with three U.S. Navy subs and demands that the bad guys surrender, lest he torpedo them into oblivion. And uh, Killer Frost stops the avalanche, and she collapses. And after all is said and done, Arrow and Diana agree that something is going on with these bad guys teaming up all the time and having their brains shorted out before they can be interrogated. Uh, uh, Manhunter is there, too, and he agrees, but he's like, look, you're going to have to do this without me. I've got to learn to live amongst humans, uh, or I'm going to become like the Viking prince, alone forever. Diana decides that, um, you know, being a warrior princess, she decides that the Viking ship deserves a proper burial uh, rite, and uh, she and the League uh, send the ship and Prince John's remains into the sun, uh, while she reads uh, the rhyme of the ancient mariner. And uh, meanwhile, Jean bids goodbye to his teammates uh, and teleports down to Earth, and he takes on his uh, John Jones disguise and just blends him with the populace. And that's where it ends. Yep. So what do you think? I get what this one was going for, but I think it lacks the emotional punch that they wanted us to feel. I do agree with that. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. When Wendy at the end is reading the scroll and sending the Viking ship into the sun and they're juxtaposing it with John uh, leaving the Watchtower himself, yeah, it's a little sad. But there's really not a lot of build-up to that. It's just, oh, we got to stop them from getting the ship. Oh, and by the way, John's leaving. Like, huh? What? Um, there definitely should have been more build-up there um, so that the ending did have a, you know, a, a bigger impact, frankly. 
Because, you know, one of the founding members leaving the team, we haven't seen that happen since, you know, uh, Hot Girl left. And, you know, this this one's John. He's a, he's a huge part of what the league does day in and day out at the Watchtower. So there's been much more of an impact than what little we saw there. Um, so uh, that's my initial thoughts. What about you? Yeah, I pretty much agree. It's it's a decent episode, uh, mm. but it is forgettable, and I don't think this epi- episode should be should have that adjective under its uh, description there. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, but the, you know, there's plenty of things I did like about this episode. Um, Diana and Jean's uh, conversations, interactions throughout the episode were awesome. Uh, you when Diana got shot with the dart, and uh, she contacts Jean, and he's like. Look, you know, the League is all, everybody is out on active duty right now. I could maybe spare Green Arrow. And Diana just interrupts him and says, bring whoever you want. I need you. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. That was great. I love that. So I think the end of the episode, while not as strong as it should have been, still did have that that element to it, that that, uh, sadness to it. So I did like that a lot. Um but there now this is my uh english nerd alert here uh because i am an english student and i know this but uh diana did read a section from the rhyme of the ancient mariner okay and um she has it on a scroll that is just tattered and worn out really badly that poem was written like i think 1795ish mm-hmm. very very late 18th century there is no way it was ever written on a scroll. It was in okay. book form. And so I, I didn't really understand what what was going on there. And again, this is me being an English nerd, but it, I had to say that. Well, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Um, I'm going to try to justify it, though. What if her people transcribed it to a scroll, and that was a scroll from Themyscira? Um, I... Because she mentioned several times that her people knew of this myth. You know, she she knows that he's a warrior. She knows the proper way to send him to Valhalla. So I can kind of justify it that way. But because they don't have her say, and there's really no room for her to say, I'm going to go home to get a scroll. You know, because they don't say that, it does kind of make anybody who does know it, such as you, going, wait, 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 that doesn't make sense. But I, in my own way, can justify it. But if other people don't want to buy into that, that's fine. I understand that. Some of the stuff I liked about this one is uh, when they do the the, the flashback stuff. Um, that's all art inspired by Joe Kubert, who is like a comic book legend, and I love the man. Um, yeah, I really, I really dug the distilled shots. It was it was just artwork. It was no, right. there was no action. Yeah, but the way they were, you could tell that the foreground was different than the background. They were doing this animation trick we've not seen them do in the DCAU before. So because of the way they were shooting it, it gave it uh, much more life than just static shots should have. Um, My understanding is that the reason they did that is because I think this is a story that's adapted from a Joe Kubert comic. Um, It was a Sergeant Rock comic, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, probably Our Army at War, which Sergeant Rock was in. Because um, when I when I first saw this one, I was like, wait, why why are they doing that? Why are they using Joe Cooper? And then throughout the years, I figured out what it was, that, that it is a slight adaptation. 
um, of, of a Kubert comic there. Um, other things I loved about this one, the Wonder Woman spin. Hello. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that they got that. Because it's the first time they've done that, right? Yep. Little yeah. Linda Carter homage. Yeah, nice little touch there. Definitely a, a very cool thing for someone who, like myself, grew up with that show to uh, to see. Um, let's see. What's his name? Devil Ray, Black Manta, whatever. This dude is hardcore. He is. And we're going to see more of it in, in an episode coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot how hardcore they let this guy get. Um, and it's very clear why they were doing it, too. They were building to something. And, of course, that was what he does and what ends up happening to him in Dead Reckoning. I mean, he's brutal. <laughs> uh-huh. He is an epic asshole, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it was this neat little moment where, you know, he, he shot her with that stinger. And uh, Faraday wants to pull it out of Wonder Woman uh, and... Or, you know, she says to pull it out, and he's like, but there's a barb. And she's like, just do it. And uh, when he pulls it out, you can see, like, little droplets of blood just come out of her arm. Um, just a nice little touch that they didn't have to add in. And I'm honestly surprised the censors didn't tell them to take out. Um, you know, it's not like blood gushes. It's not like an anime. But just these little <laughs> drops are there, and you know what they're supposed to be. Um, so, yeah, just, like I said, just a nice little thing. Well, you know, speaking of Faraday... I- this guy must love swinging his dick around since Trident missiles are ICBMs equipped with nuclear warheads. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's lying. I think he's just <laughs> the, the, the schlubs on that ship aren't going to know. You know, he's definitely just saying he's yeah, he's he's just swinging his dick. That's all he's doing. Which I I, I liked. I thought it was. I thought his dialogue was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens to him? Yeah, like, I don't know. I think this is our last. We, the last we see of him. Yeah, because I completely forgot Faraday showed up in the DCAU. Because, you know, I know him you know, from the comics, and I know him from, uh, what was the uh, uh, Justice League, shoot, 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 the Darwin Cook adaptation. Oh, the New Frontier. A uh, New Frontier, right, yeah. I, I know him from those things, and so I was really surprised he shows up, and I couldn't remember what they did with his character. And as far as I know, in the remaining episodes, he's not around. They don't do anything with it. It's very... It's like they wanted to go somewhere and then figured out they couldn't go wherever they were going, and then they just drop it. I don't know. Not something I hold against this episode, just this season as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Oh, what's her name? Killer Frost. I love her in this one. Uh-huh. I was just about to get into her. Mm-hmm. Um, her dialogue. Uh-huh. <laughs> hey, watch the hands. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I loved John being a total badass with her when he drags her up to the roof and he says, you stop this avalanche now because no matter what, I'm not moving. You know, and you know he'll survive that avalanche, but she's not gonna. You know, and she completely freaks out and she has no choice but to but to stop that avalanche if she herself wants to live. And, you know, later on we'll see that side of her again in, um, what is it, Alive, or Destroyer, Alive, Alive. Mm-hmm. you know, where it's basically she kills half the villains just so she, Luthor doesn't kill her. <laughs> yep. You know, again, they're getting really hardcore with some of these villains, with with uh, Devil Devil Ray, Black Mantis, whatever, with her, um, they're, 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 I love yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. That, that's all you can say is I love it, right? Yeah, thank you for saving me there. <laughs> uh, no problem. There's, uh, I guess, really my one, 
my final note is just a, another one of those blink and you miss it kind of things. If you pause the DVD and go really slowly through the images in Giganta's mind, one mm-hmm. of them is the smiley face chip that Joker put into Tim Drake's brain. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's Not weird. sure what that was about, but yeah, <laughs> maybe it was just a little Easter egg thing. I guess I don't know. Yeah, probably. Probably just to see if if any geeks like us would do such a thing and go and frame hey, by frame. Here I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the last two things I want to say about this one is the opening cliffhanger. That's got to be one of the weakest cliffhangers we've ever seen. Oh no, a Viking ship! Bum bum bum. Let's go to the credits. Like what? <laughs> what the hell was that? Um, and the other one is uh, again a member of the team's leaving. Flash hugs him. You know, it sure it lacks the emotion that. Um, it it had when he hugged Shaira when she left at the end of what was that Starcrossed right, mm-hmm. but all the same it's nice to see them repeating that reminding us that Wally really is the heart of this team that he loves everybody on this team especially the founding uh, uh, founders, um, so you know if anything in those final moments that's what kind of gave it any sort of emotional impact for me was was just seeing that little hug there. We'd all be living like kings if it weren't for the Flash. Don't tell me. I'll say. Yeah. The Flash has put each of us away at one time or another. He's interfered with our livelihoods. And to complete the insult, the city has honored this Budinsky with a museum. Tomorrow's supposed to be the biggest day in the Flash's life. I say we make it his last. Next up is the epic... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to give away my thoughts. Flash (laughs) and Substance. (laughs) In this one, uh, the Flash's rogues, they're sitting around a little bar. And I should say the rogues are the Trickster, Captain Cold, Captain Boomerang, and the Mirror Master. And uh, they're sitting around going, our lives suck, blah, blah, blah. And uh, you know what would make them not suck? If we killed the Flash. So... uh, they decide to uh, each take their shot at the Flash. And uh, they're going to do this on Flash Appreciation Day in Central City. Uh, the big Flash Museum is opening up, and uh, that's when they're going to get him. Or leading up to that moment is when they're going to try to get him, I should say. And uh, uh, But before that, you know, the Flash is on the Watchtower, and uh, he convinces Batman to come to the opening of the museum. And uh, Orion mouths off to Batman, saying, I can't believe you let that buffoon trick you into doing that. And uh, Batman doesn't say a word. He just looks at Orion, and Orion is like, it's not black tie, is it? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, a new god, a new god is afraid of the mortal Batman. That was awesome. Um, So... uh, Later on, you know, the, the Flash, he's running around uh, Central City, and we just see that he's in touch with everybody. He knows everybody, from the guys in the cab, to the cab drivers, to the fishermen, to, to just every person on the street. And uh, he's running past a, uh, a closed-down roller rink, and he hears a little girl crying. He goes in there, and it turns out it's a trap by the Mirror Master. He's able to get out of it, uh, not without destroying pretty much the roller rink. And, uh, well, it was already in pretty bad shape. Too well, it was, right. but I mean, you know, like he destroys all the jukeboxes in video games. The the lights come down at the end. He does make it worse than it already was. So uh, after that, he's getting the key to the city, and uh, as he's as he's walking through the crowd again, greeting people, telling people he'll paint their fences, he'll do this, he'll do that. Tells the kid nice slacks. <laughs> I just like I just like Wally using the word slacks. That's all. Um, 
uh, he hears these whoosh, whoosh, whooshing sounds, and he's like, oh, no. And he looks up, and he sees all these boomerangs coming at him, so he tells the crowd to scatter. Um, he throws uh, something at the, the boomerangs that causes some of them to explode, but the rest still fly at him. So he grabs all the boomerangs, throws them back in the air, and he's like, woo! Well, they start start coming at him again, and he's like, duh! <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, he turns into a giant tornado as he does and uh, causing the boomerangs to fly up into the air, way up in the air, colliding with each other and exploding safely. Uh, While he's not looking, a massive boomerang uh, comes flying at him. It hits him and uh, these... uh, This this, this, uh, metal vice wraps around his midsection and one of his arms. One of his arms is still free, though. As it's flying and spinning, a TV monitor pops up, and Captain Boomerang's like, ah, ha, ha, you're going to crash into the mountain. Uh, Wally stops it from crashing into the mountain, and it lands on the street. And uh, Batman and Orion are there, and they're all like, you're tied to a giant boomerang. And uh, Flash is like, yeah, no big deal. Just brushes it off. (laughs) And uh, Batman informs him that uh, it isn't just the Mirror Master and uh, Boomer that are after him, that the Trickster and Captain Cold also want a piece of him. Um, So no matter what Wally wants, they're going to tag along and make sure that he is okay. So they go away, and we're up on a rooftop, and we see the rogues being all like, oh, my God, what is going on? We're wasting a ton of money trying to capture this guy. Let's just jump him at the Flash Museum. Uh, But before that happens, uh, it's actually the Trickster's turn to try to trap the Flash And he comes up with this preposterous idea involving greased-up dog vomit and a wall of spikes and I don't even know what else. It's just crazy talk. And they just look at him like, dude, why do we hang around with you? You know, it's sort of like (laughs) Bart Simpson hanging around with Millhouse. You know, these aren't the coolest kids on the block, you know, (laughs) but uh, they're they're not going to hang around with, well, let's let's, let's not even say Millhouse. They're not going to hang around with Ralph Wiggum, you know. Or Martin. (laughs) Or, yeah, exactly. They ditch him, and that's when they decide that they're going to jump the Flash at the museum. Well, uh, we cut to the Flash's apartment, um, where the Flash changes his costume, because his last one was torn up. Um, Nothing much really happens there. We just get to see a little slice of Wally's life. We go to the museum, where uh, they've tried to make make it safe for the Flash. You know, they're guarding the exits. Batman claims he's removed all the reflective surfaces in the building, which is kind of impossible to do, but whatever. Um, he's Batman. I don't know. Um, well, while, uh, while Wally is signing autographs at the museum opening, uh, the rogues are there. They show up. They do what they say. They jump him. And, uh, it should be noted that there's a reporter there. And this is, um, oh, I just lost her name. Iris, right? No. Linda Park. Linda. Yeah. Iris was Barry's wife. I'm sorry. Barry being, uh, the Flash before Wally. Um, Linda Park is there. She's flirting with him. And uh, during the scuffle, she actually falls into one of the mirror's master's uh, uh, mirrors. Uh, Wally dives in to save her. Um, eventually, of course, they get back out. Uh, more fighting ensues with Batman and Orion taking down um, the rogues. And uh, at the end of the day, yeah, everybody's taken down and uh, everybody's safe. And Orion, who earlier in the episode claims to not understand uh, the Flash and his uh, buffoonery at the end is like, oh, I get it. You put on, you know, this 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 kind of clownish attitude to hide a warrior's spirit or a warrior's pain. And Flash is like, dude, like no one died. Everybody's safe. That's a good day in my book. Just chill out. And uh, that's pretty much this one. I mean, the only thing I left out was the the trio approaching Trickster at the bar to find out what the plan 
was against Wally, um, <laughs> which is also a great scene, but I'm sure we'll talk about that uh, in just a second here. So what were you thinking about this one? Uh, it, do you even need to ask? This thing is awesome. Yeah, I know. I love this episode. How can, how can anybody not like this episode? You would have to be a hardcore Flash hater to not like this episode, I think. Pretty much. Because, I mean, it's just it's just downright fun. I have, like, three notes, but I really wanted to write more, but it's just, like, I figured I've seen this one so many times, I could probably just pull all this stuff from memory. Yeah, um, yeah. This one is just, it's going to get a really high grade just for hilarity's sake. Um, I love Mark Hamill kind of rep- uh, reprising his role as the trickster, since he, that was who he played in the Flash TV series. Yeah, absolutely. And in a way, playing a new, another version of the Joker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just a, li- a little little more, uh, uh, well, I wouldn't say less psychotic. Well, yeah, I guess no. less I don't less, know, less, psychotic on a whole different level, though. <laughs> yeah, just a whole different world there. Yeah. But uh, I, that scene that uh, you omitted from the summary, but you said we come back to, let's just, let's just talk about that. Sure thing. <laughs> um, so Batman and Orion are just doing their usual thing, uh, <laughs> the way they interrogate people. <laughs> and Flash is just like, dude, chill out. Let me take care of this. Yeah. James, you're off your meds again. <laughs> it's like, I just take it when I feel down, man. <laughs> That's not how they work. <laughs> Look, dude, you're wearing the costume again. Oh, well, what do you know? Yeah. I'll tell you what. Go to, you agree to get yourself some psychiatric care, and I will come play darts with you. The soft kind. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, and by the way, when you finish your drink, turn yourself in. <laughs> Got, Got me, me again, again Flash. Flash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's such a great exchange. I even love I even love the when he reveals the kind of weapon he has, and he's like, it's a snot gun. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is great. And this is the last time we see Mark Hamill in the DCAU, right? Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a very high note to go on, though, this this portrayal of the trickster. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you know what? I, I, I love the moment between Orion and Batman when Orion is like, I don't get it, in reference to the Flash. And Batman's just like, no, you don't. Um, the reason I love that is because it shows that despite the Flash's jokey nature, Batman respects the kid. Mm-hmm. Um not just because he's a founding member of the league with them, but because he's proven himself time and time and time again as one of the greatest heroes the world has seen. I mean, hell, the Flash took down Luthor Brainiac and nearly lost his life doing it. Batman really, really, let's be honest, probably loves the guy, you know, um, as a hero and as a person. Like a Um, little brother. Yeah, pretty much so. So when Orion gets on his case. That's why Batman's got to stand, stand up for him the way he does. It's, 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 it's such a nice touch. It tells you so much about those, those three men really, but the two men that are most important in that dynamic being Batman and flash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. On a more serious note, I, I think this episode is just great because it really is a flash history episode mm-hmm. because it, they bring in like just about every Flash villain ever. Yeah. In this episode, they all have 
they all have cameos, whether they're just in the background or they're one of the little statues at the museum or yeah. whatever. I mean, Turtle Man. Yeah. Uh, fucking. Not the pirate. Turtle Man display. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boo. That's, that's, that's another great thing about this episode. I, I, I'll let you continue what you were saying before, but it's such a quotable episode, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many great lines. But I'm sorry, please continue with what you were saying about all the displays and all that. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got Abracadabra. Uh, the Fiddler, Pied Piper, you, mm-hmm. you name a Flash villain, they're probably in the background somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And more than that, we see Jay Garrick's helmet. Yep. We see the Kid Flash costume, you not in continuity errors. <laughs> um, granted, it, it seems like it's a Kid Flash costume from, like, transitional years, like when Wally was probably, like, mm, 16, 17, maybe 18, 19, you know? But still the Kid Flash costume. Do they show the cosmic treadmill? Yeah, well, they show a treadmill in his apartment. That's right. Yeah, I was getting confused there. But there's there's a reference to the cosmic time, the, the treadmill, which, for those of you that don't know, allows the Flashes to time travel. Um, Wally has Barry's job as a forensic scientist. Um, the cop at the end who's sweeping up the pieces of the mirror that the mirror master gets trapped in looks a whole hell of a lot like Barry. Um, speaking of Barry again, uh, Wally mentions that his uncle is flying in. Never says Barry's name, but he is mentioned. Um, we get to see a reference to the episode where the Flash first appeared in the DCAU when he and Superman were running around Speed the world. Demons. Yeah, there's there's a display about that in the background. It doesn't necessarily reference Wally, because remember, my belief is that that might have been Barry as the Flash. Right. Um, can't prove it. Just sort of. Just sort of my belief. Yeah, just just so many nice little touches, as you said, from the villains that are there in person or on display, and all these little bits of Flash history, from Jay's helmet to a costume to just side references to Barry, all there. It's it's as for, for you know this this episode, not this episode, excuse me, the DCAU made me a big 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 Flash fan. I've made no secret about the fact that he's my favorite character in the DCAU. So for an episode like this, and then later on, the great brain robbery, where they just focus on him, I just love these. I just lap these up. I mean, I knew we were going to be covering this one really soon, and right before I moved, like, I I just sat down. I needed a break because I was packing. I watched this episode. Even though I knew we'd be watching it again in a couple of weeks, I had to just watch this one just for shits and giggles. Mm -hmm. That's how awesome this is. And why not? Yeah, exactly. And then you again. Besides the villains, you got Linda Park, who is oh yeah, is Wally's wife in the comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I want to say that had they continued uh, Justice League beyond this season, that they would have brought uh, brought her back and maybe you know have a, a relationship. Yeah, with, uh, with Wally there. Probably, you know, um, that would have been nice because then they could have fleshed out Wally as a character a, mm-hmm. a little more, um, giving him more of a of, of a home life, but. You know, that they didn't, I don't think anything was hurt. You no. know, that was it was a nice little thing that, you know, fans who know who she is get it, and those who don't, oh well, they don't get it. No big deal. Um now all the praise we're we're heaping on this one, it's not a perfect episode. Nope. Um there's a couple of little flubs. Um there's a scene where Captain Cold um he's he's frozen Orion, okay? Um in, in that moment when he's looking at him um, like I think it's like right when Boomer is about to throw the boomerang at the big ice block, one of Captain Cold's eyes goes lazy. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, what happened? Did you get hit too hard." Um, and there was another little thing where, um, let's see, uh, Boomer just pulls out the boomerangs on Batman, 
which is a really cool scene because then Batman pulls his batterings, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, if you look behind Boomer, um, the Kid Flash costume suddenly doesn't have the mask on it anymore. Where previously we saw it had the mask, but there it doesn't. So there, there's just these little flubs that, you know, it don't it doesn't really distract from the episode, but, you know, we're going to point them out because that's what we've been doing for 96 episodes, you yeah. know? Well, I'll throw uh, one in myself. The Turtle Man display gets destroyed, but then later it can be seen in the background when Orion goes after Captain Cold. Oh, hell, I didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and then my only one gripe with the episode is a, a, a compact disc could cut the line to a disco ball. Well, he's throwing it at super speed? I guess. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's made of adamantium? I don't know. <laughs> it's made of metallo? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's metallo. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it, really, that that, yeah. that is my only gripe with this episode. Yeah, exactly. And they're not big gripes. You know, when you compound them, sure, maybe it brings it down a point or two or something. But... Again, they're not huge things that you're going to sit there and complain about that's going to make you go, I don't like this one, or it's mediocre, or anything like that. No, 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 not at all. Ramakushna, just like you to show up too late to help. Your impertinence is refreshing as always, but have a care. The gods are capricious. What do you want from me? The master is dead. They're all dead. Do not presume to lecture me on the nature of reality. The monks have not yet passed from this plane. They're in some kind of coma? That is as close to the truth as you are capable of comprehending. You must retrieve the heart of Nanda Parva, or they will remain in their current state for all time. I have spoken. And last up today is Dead Reckoning. In this one, we start in Nanda Parbat, where uh, Grodd orders a very powerful faction of the Legion of Doom to attack the temple there and steal this orb. Uh, I guess I guess it's just called the Soul of Nanda Parbat. Uh, it's this orb that holds the souls of thousands of former monks. And uh, Boston Brand, aka Dead Man, is there, uh, having being uh, he was speaking to the master. Uh, of this place before all this uh, shit went down. And uh, he tries to stop this massive assault by jumping into Rampage's body, but Tala, being a mystic, can sense his presence there, and she exorcises him from her uh, her body and expels him away. And he's left helpless as he watches Black Manta kill the master, his teacher, and and they steal the souls of all of the monks there who are fighting the, the bad guys. So Dead Man's only viable option is to seek help from the Justice League. And uh, he somehow makes his way to the Watchtower and possesses Superman and speaks to Batman and Wonder Woman. And Batman recognizes immediately what's going on. Uh, and uh, Dead Man relays the terrible news that the Master is dead. And Bruce is horrified because he was one of his martial arts teachers. And Dead Man says, look... I can psychically sense the soul, but I can't narrow it down any deeper than Africa. And uh, Batman immediately knows that Grodd must be heading for Gorilla City. And he phones Solovar, uh, who's, who tells him, look, we're already under attack. And uh, so Batman, Wonder Woman, and possessed Superman fly down to Gorilla City. And uh, Deadman leaves Superman's body and goes inside the city to shut down the force field. And he does, uh, so the heroes join in the battle. Uh, Deadman at some point possesses Wonder Woman and starts attacking Black Manta, 
uh, for killing the master, but he decides not to kill Manta. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Grodd and Luthor place the soul into the cloaking generator of Gorilla City, and Grodd adds something called a DNA reconfiguration matrix into this device, and he turns everything on full blast and reveals that his ultimate plan is to rewrite all human DNA and de-evolve all of humanity into apes. Uh, Luthor is not pleased, nor are the heroes who enter the room. Uh, and Superman it destroys the device in this massive explosion, and it, it returns everyone to normal. And uh, the heroes are all celebrating, but Dead Man is floating around nearby and says, Yeah, yuck it up, guys. You all save the day, but all the monks are still dead. And uh, unknown to the heroes, Black Manta limps into the room and aims his poison dart gun right at Diana, but Dead Man then just thinking, just spur of the moment, possesses Batman, grabs Luthor's gun that he dropped during the, the battle, and uh, he shoots Manta into this open electrical panel, uh, killing him. And Dead Man is horrified at what he's done, and he just leaves Batman's body. And Batman comes to and sees the gun in his hand, and he knows immediately what's happened. And he slams it to the ground in utter disgust. And Superman tries to console him, saying, Look, dude, Dead Man possessed you. It wasn't your fault. But Batman just yanks his shoulder away, walks away furiously without saying anything. Dead Man is just aghast, and he's visited again by Ramakrishna, who actually visited him earlier in the episode. But uh, this is a cosmic entity who says that Dead Man has upset the balance of life and death by taking another person's life. And Dead Man is just like, Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How is what I did even close to what the villains did by killing hundreds of monks? Um, Kushna says, no, you are wrong. Even now, their souls return to their bodies. Dead Man is transported back to Nanda Parbat, uh, where the master, uh, master, the master has also been brought back to life, and he says that Dead Man will be trapped on Earth, or and between the, the mortal world and the uh, afterlife until he atones for this act. And finally, we go back to the Legion of Doom, where Grodd says that his plan has only seen a minor setback here, and Luthor has had enough of this shit, and he's like, <laughs> seriously? Turning everyone into apes? That was your grand plan? So he just shoots Grodd and assumes command of the Legion of Doom. Anyone got a problem with that? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I don't know what to think about this one. Um... Uh, it's like they're going for this super serious thing, you know, with all the monks seeming to die, with Dead Man out for vengeance, with what he does um, ultimately and who he uses to to commit that murder. And, and, and you know, at the end, Luthor staging a coup. And I love that moment where Luthor is like, I wasn't going to do this for a few more weeks. But seriously, you know? Yep. <laughs> um <laughs> Great moment. It, yeah, I mean, so there's a serious edge, but then the ultimate plan is turning everybody into gorillas. It seems like that should be a comedy episode. So that's where I'm a little conflicted with this one, and that's why I didn't write down a score for this one. We're really going to have to talk this one out for me to figure out what I'm going to give it. Um, don't get me wrong. I really do like this one. It's just that one little thing makes me go, it's funny, but it's... It doesn't gel well with the seriousness that they were going for. Um, all that said, uh, let me sit back for a few minutes and think about this while you say what you think about this one. Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat as you, but I, I, I mean, I really do like this one. 
I, I love how when Dead Man possesses somebody, they instantly have a, a Bostonian accent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, George Newbern doing the, the Boston accent. Just, yeah. Wow. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I, I I do like it, it was kind of serious. It's it, I think of this episode as a sandwich. It's serious. The bread is the seriousness, and then the comedy is kind of in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because it's sandwiched in between two serious, two very serious scenes. Yeah. Um, I really feel bad for Dead Man, though. I do. Because mm-hmm. he was trying to, to save Wonder Woman's life. Yeah. And he just he just did the first thing that came to mind. It wasn't like he was actively out trying to kill him. In fact, he let Manta live just a few minutes earlier. Mm-hmm. So I just, I really feel bad for him. No, you're right. I mean, all I can say is you're right. I was going to try to add more, and I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, I guess my one big, big gripe with this episode is um, Superman isn't human. He could Thank not, you. He could not have been affected by that DNA reconfiguration thing. Wonder and Woman's why, not human either. Exactly. Wonder Woman shouldn't have been either. No matter what we score this one do know that it's receiving a point less than it would have received because of that. Every time I see this one, despite the fact that I love the ending, I love what they have Dead Man do with Batman and Batman's disgust, all that stuff. That brings it up a point, but that point is almost negated because of Superman and Wonder Woman changing. And then uh, couple that with the fact that they just throw the machine into the air and it explodes and somehow that reverts everybody... That doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, they why didn't they have Batman, like, do some computer wizardry and reverse the sequence, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really don't like all, all, all that. Um, it was... Th- th- those just couple of minutes there. That really does bring it down for me. Yeah, it was kind of a clusterfuck with how mm-hmm. Superman saves the day there. Yeah. Really it's like bad. they... It's like they didn't know how to end it, so they said, we'll just throw it in the air and everybody's magically fixed because there's a magical orb in the center of it. Well, that doesn't work. Yeah, that just saves that the lives of the monks. Survive? What's that? I was going to say, how did that magical orb survive all that? Yeah, I don't know that either. And what I want to know is, in the beginning, the monk says that Boston Brand has to avenge his, not his own, but the monk's death, Right. Right. Then, at the end, when he's alive again, Boston was like, oh, I really thought they killed you. And the monk's like, no one dies in Namba Parbat. Well, then why did you say you were going to die? Technically, he was dead, but technically he wasn't. Because, you know, what he just said, if no one dies, then he wasn't dead. And my brain's hurting now. I can't work that one out. (laughs) Devil Ray, Manta, whatever. Again, he just blows that sentry down. You know, you're not getting passed. Okay, boom, 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 shoots him to death. Uh-huh. You know, then destroys the rubble, or excuse me, not the rubble, the awning above the monk, uh, the master, uh, apparently killing him. Whatever happened there, we don't know. Um, yeah, I'd love to know how he got brought back to life when his body had to have been crushed to dust. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, he's going to shoot Wonder Woman right between the eyes with one of his darts, which you've already seen can pierce her skin. Um. They, I mean, again, as we said before, they were really setting him up for something, and it's nice to see that he got his comeuppance. Yeah. Um, he really deserved what he got. <laughs> um, 
And again, I, 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 I do enjoy that. And I like that they showed his death off screen because whatever happened to him, ooh, <laughs> we don't really want to see, do we? <laughs> we can no, gather what happened there. He got uh, the uh, Christopher Walken treatment from Batman Returns. <laughs> what happened to him in Batman Returns? I don't remember. He got fried by Catwoman in that generator thing. <laughs> oh, really? I don't remember. Uh, he got... You know, he, he was just a skeleton, basically left uh, of him after it was over. That's pretty yeah. much what I, I think happened to Manta here. <laughs> okay. Yeah, seriously, I, I don't remember much of Batman Returns. I've kind of blocked that piece of shit out of my mind. I'm sorry, I know you kind of like that one, so... Kind of. Not like, yeah. oh my god, it's great. Yeah, no. I no. used to be like that, but not so much <laughs> anymore. I imagine why. Yeah. can't imagine why. You know, you, you uh, sort of brought it up, I've sort of brought it up, but I, I really just got to flat out say, I love Batman's disgust utter disgust and contempt for dead man at what dead man made batman do um because they could have had boston jump into wonder woman's body and move out of the way they could have had uh superman he, they could have he could have jumped into superman's body and uh heat visioned is uh, manta or devil ray or whatever but instead they went they very purposely went with batman there you know, it led to this really cool, touching moment. Uh, touching in a weird way, if you understand what I mean. Yeah, you know, touching definitely isn't the right word, but... Powerful? A, 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 that's it, thank you. A powerful moment. Um, uh, just Batman using a gun, man. I, I mean, I've got... It's one of those things where it's like, I know what I'm going to say about it, and then it comes time to talk about it, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just... Just so cool, so cool. And you know what, really, they had to have Boston go in super, uh, Batman's body in that moment because he had already gone in Superman's, he had already gone in Wonder Woman's, Batman was the only one left, you know, and it afforded them that opportunity um, for that moment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, uh, one thing I noted, they flat out say that Metropolis is on the East Coast. Yeah. They flat out say it. Uh, previously, was it the West Coast? I mean, we always were trying to figure out where the hell it was. And I've always been of the opinion that it's the equivalent of New York. So yeah, yeah. So hey, we we got that there. That's cool. Yep. Um, what else do you want to say about this one? Um, I'm sure there's more. Well, Dead Man references Star Trek. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was actually kind of funny. He's like, yeah, they, you know, when they beam people down on that show, they never miss, because <laughs> he thinks that they're just in the middle of nowhere in Africa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love when he leaves Superman's body, and Superman picks up the conversation he was having before about the milkshakes, mm-hmm. and then he turns around, he's like, "Why am I in Africa?" <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, that's cool. Something else I, I liked about this episode is that they, when they, you know, they have Bizarro back now, and yeah. they're doing the comic book Bizarro, where mm-hmm. you say everything opposite to him, and that's how he understands things. He understands things. Uh, so he's like, um, uh, cause Luthor just walks right up to Bizarro and says, Bizarro, Superman is your best friend. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Me understand. Me must kill Superman. Yeah, shouldn't he say like, me hug Superman? Or me kiss Superman? Yeah, but then we're getting into God knows what, what <laughs> level of depth in this opposite yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. I love that moment when he first walks up to, uh, uh, that, that that being Luthor, first walks up to Bizarro. He's like, Bizarro, um, I'm your... No, you... 
What you does he hate, say? You hate me, right? Yeah, and then he's like, you hate me. No, you like me. Whatever. You know? <laughs> yeah, he throws in like a whatever or whatever because he, he can't even be bothered Good. to try to Good. remember Good. what this shit is. I mean, is. bad. I mean, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice little touch. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, like, I, I, I really don't know. I still don't know what I'm going to score this one. I have a score, but this is one where I might have to come back to it. I don't know. Yeah, I think I'm going to, too. Okay, we haven't really talked about it. Let's talk about um, Grodd's ultimate plan and <laughs> uh, Luthor's coup. What were you thinking about those two elements? Um, I actually liked both, if you can believe it. Okay. Uh, because that's such a thing that Gorilla uh, Grodd would do. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. It, it's keeping in his his very arrogant character. Mm-hmm. Uh that is absolutely something he would do. Uh, and then, of course, Luthor's coup is fucking fantastic. Yeah. It, it, he, in literally, like, three sentences, he has taken over the Legion of Doom. And then, of course, what's her name? Tala, or whatever her name is? <laughs> Switching to Luthor right away. <laughs> yep. No problem at all, baby. <laughs> Don't ever do that voice again. <laughs> uh, which automatically means I'm going to do it again. Oh, God. <laughs> on a, on a on a future episode. Yeah, yeah. I will say when I very first saw this one, when I very first saw that one, that's so grammatically incorrect. But anyways, <laughs> um, when I saw this one for the very first time, yes, there thank you go. You, there you um, go. I was a little angry that Grodd wasn't dead, that uh, we actually hear him groan. I mean, he gets shot point blank by Lex Flippin' Luthor. Mm-hmm. You know, he should be dead. But once I saw what Grodd's ultimate fate was... <laughs> Then I was like, okay, they were saving up for that. (laughs) (laughs) And it was worth it. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Do you want to say anything else about this one, or should we get to our scores? Um, I I don't really have anything else to say about this one. Okay. Shadow of the Hawk. Uh, I'm giving that one an eight. Wow. Um, That one's only going to get a six from me. Well, I told you, it's one of my personal favorites, so it's Mm -hmm. just, I'm kind of biased on it. Okay, that's fair. Uh, chaos at the Earth's core. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, God damn it. Uh, two. <laughs> it's funny. I started at a six. I don't know why the hell I wrote down a six. Then after talking about it for about two minutes, I went down to a five, but ultimately it's going to get a four from me. Um, I was wording it that way because I was debating if I was going to give it a three, but I'm going to stick with that four. Uh, to another shore. Uh, I will give that one a six. That is also getting a six from me. Flash and substance. I actually am having a hard time with this one because I have a nine written down, but going over, going back to our review of it, I mean, really, what bad thing did we really say about this one? Okay, a CD cut a disco ball. Mm -hmm. Oh, there were a couple of animation flubs. You know what? It's getting a ten. Okay, okay. Um, I am going to give that one a 9. As much as I love it, I do feel that the slight flubs, they do come together to just kind of bring it down a point. Um, In my heart, do I want to give it a 10? Yes, I do. I may come back to this one to give it a 10. One, because I want to give it a 10. (laughs) And two, because I want to have an excuse to rewatch this one in a couple of weeks. (laughs) Oh, I see what you did there. So I'm not promising I'm going to come back to it, but there's a good chance I may. And uh, last up, Dead Reckoning. Like I said, I'm probably going to have to revisit this one in some way. I'm going to give it a 7 for now. 
Okay. Um, you know what? I'm going to be lazy, and I'm going to give it the same grade as you. I just... <sighs> this is yeah. one of the hardest episodes to of anything that we've had to grade I, in all of the 96 episodes we have done this. Yeah, I do think this will definitely be one that I come back to um, in uh, episode 98. Uh, 90, no, 99, pardon me. Because um, I feel this one deserves a better shot from me. Or not a better shot, but another shot from me. So, yeah, for now, that's getting a seven. My plan was sound. I mean, what's so special about a disco of death? Heck with all of them. I'm an artist. They're just robbing banks. Captain Cole, Captain Boomerang. Probably would have gone for it if I was a captain. <clears throat> It's a snot gun. <laughs> Where are the others? Those crabby hacks can go plug a hole for all I care. But I'm not about to rat them out. Orion. Talk. While you still have a jaw. Hey, hey! Would you guys please take it down a notch? Let me handle this. James, you're off your meds, aren't you? I'm better off without him. Take him if I start feeling down. You know that's not how the medicine works. You're not well. I'm fine. You want to throw some darts? No. Listen, James, you're wearing the suit again. I am? Well, what do you know? Here's the deal, buddy. Tell me where those guys went, and I promise to come see you in the hospital. We'll play darts. The soft kind. Okay. They're gonna ambush you at the Flash Museum. See? That's all we needed. Come on, we better get over there. What about your enemy? Oh, right. Dude, as soon as you finish your drink, turn yourself in. Got me again, Flash. Feedback in the form of emails can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Our voicemail number is 731-WFP-WFP0. 731-937-9370. And don't forget about our store, which can be found at earth2.net slash store. That's earth-2.net slash store. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes of Justice League Unlimited. Those being Patriot Act, The Great Brain Robbery, Grudge Match, Far From Home, and Ancient History. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. (laughs) 